Our opening and closing theme is by Midnight Syndicate. For more dark instrumental music like it, visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Alexa. True crime stories are discussed in this podcast, which may contain graphic and disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, guys, and welcome back to Freshly Brewed Noir. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Summer. Today we're going to cover Washington Irving and the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And this is our bonus episode. Happy Halloween Eve. So hopefully you're getting ready. You have candy for the trick-or-treaters and you have your costumes. I know, your badass costumes. (laughs) Send us pictures of your Halloween costumes. Yeah, we want to see. We're fans. Well, Summer especially. I'm a big fan. It's my favorite holiday. It's your favorite holiday, and we're covering your favorite Halloween story, which is not even yes. a really like really a Halloween story, right? No, because Halloween wasn't a thing until, I think, a century after this story was written. I mean, we'll talk about our trip. Yes, because we had a, a live story telling. We did. By a master storyteller, which we'll talk about. Towards the end. Yeah. So, so stay tuned. You gotta listen to the whole thing. So if you're not familiar with Sleepy Hollow, we're going to tell you all about it, and maybe some extra We'll always tell you extra. We will. Okay, so should we dive in? Absolutely. Well, Washington Irving was a successful American fiction writer that put America on the map by achieving international fame for the fictional stories Rip Van Winkle and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which we're going to talk about The Legend of Sleepy Hollow for this episode. He was one of the first largely acclaimed writers to come out of the United States. The public was obsessed with him and wanted his autograph. He was a literary celebrity, internationally well-known, breaking bread with President Martin Van Buren, and other writers of his time, like Edgar Allan Poe, were seeking Irving's approval. Even a nice letter that he wrote to Charles Dickens was received like a fangirl. (laughs) So was he like besties with them? No, he was just this amazing writer that put America on the map. Yeah. I didn't realize how much of a mark he left in pop culture. Gotham came from Washington Irving. Yes, we learned that. And I had no idea. I learned so much about him. Even his personality. We learned that he had quite a witty sense of humor. and it was great. Yeah. So he sounded like a, a very fun person to be around. We would want to be friends with him, yes. I think so. It's kind of surprising how his short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, has basically eclipsed him to become this supposed local lore when it's actually a story written by a fascinating early American writer. It is my favorite Halloween story, and even though Halloween wasn't a thing when it was published, it's associated with Halloween because the Headless Horseman throws a pumpkin. I know, and both Ichabod. of those, yes. And Headless Horseman, that's a great costume. The pumpkin obviously is a big symbol of Halloween, so it's the perfect gothic story for Halloween, even though Halloween wasn't a thing yet. You're right. When I was a kid, I remember watching Sleepy Hollow and just thinking how spooky it was. So it is scary and it fits in that category. The Disney version? Yes. Disney did a great job with Sleepy Hollow. They They actually stuck to the story. I agree. The only thing that, and we'll talk about it after, but they did, you know, kind of Disneyfy it. With the singing? Of course. With the singing and with the the hip hop and the clippity clop. We loved that. (laughs) He's out looking for a head to swap. Yep. (laughs) Thank you for singing that for us. (laughs) 
I didn't even sing it. You don't want to hear me sing. We do. No, we don't. <laughs> we do. What does that take? That takes, um, where was that place we went to? Which place? It was a birthday we party. Well, we have been to many places, but we went to a birthday party and I had pomegranate wine. Yes. That's the one and only time I've ever done karaoke. I'll never do it again. Unless we find that pomegranate wine. You're not going to find it. I will hide it. Well, you won't even know. I will know. You won't know. I'll see it in your eye. I'll be like, oh, she found some pomegranate <laughs> wine. Let me just peace out of this situation before I make a fool of myself singing. Because I'm a big fan of karaoke. And she is. I am grateful that I had the <laughs> one opportunity to sing karaoke with you. What did we even sing? It's the only time. I think it was some 90s boy band. In sync. It was in sync, I'm sure. Of course it was. Yes. Because in sync is my go-to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the only time I've ever done it. Just like you in Netherworld, you've only went once. You said, I will go with you one time, once and done. That's the same with me in karaoke. And you've had me sing with you one time, but that will be it. We were in a VIP room. There was just a, another group of ladies for a birthday party and the once and done. It was very fun, though. No. It was so no. much fun. I mean, yes, probably. <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, it'll happen again. It won't happen again. But unlike Netherworld, I will not be back. See, Netherworld will happen again then. For you. For you too. <laughs> if I'm singing again, you are definitely going to Netherworld again. <laughs> but it's not like you even have fun there. I don't. Because <laughs> I'm always the caboose. I always get stuck in the back. And then the actors always come out and they do the first scare. Then they come back and do the back scare. So the person on the caboose in that group gets scared twice. So if anyone's been to Netherworld, you know it's always safer to be in the middle. You never want to be the back. You never want to be the front. No. So we took my daughter and her friends one year. And Jennifer, she took one for the team as a bestie. She came with me. And she said, but I will not be in the back. And of course, my daughter and her friends wanted to be up in the front because they like getting scared. So I was the caboose. And you really were a trooper. I don't get scared, scared. I kind of laugh when I get scared, but the nervous laugh, it's a nervous laugh. <laughs> but then at the end of the night, I'm laying in bed and literally shuddering every so many minutes, my body would just shake like with a convulsion. Probably Here. from the chainsaws. Yeah, my nerves were just shot. Chased. Yes. Yeah, my nerves were shot at the end of it. So yeah, Jennifer was like, oh, that was it. <laughs> One and done. One and done. Okay, so there's our little bit about Netherworld and pomegranate wine. Halloween tangent. <laughs> and somehow a karaoke tangent. I don't know. Well, we got to work that in there somehow. <laughs> yeah. All right, so back to Washington Irving and his early life. Born in New York City on April 3rd, 1783, Irving was the youngest of 11 children and was named after George Washington. It's a lot of, that's a lot of kids. That's many, many children. But, but you know, the 1700s, the... they were having just tons of kids. We're back in the 1700s. Yeah. And yeah. yes, they were breeding. Well, like crazy. <laughs> so did you know that Irving actually experienced a viral epidemic in his lifetime? Just like I did we're not. experiencing today. That was news to me. And many say that it did influence his writing later in life, but he was very sick as a child. And when the yellow fever epidemic made a 10th appearance in New York a City, 10th round, you know, they didn't have good medical care back then. Dang. So 10th round, there wasn't a lot of understanding about it, but his family sent him from the urban environment to seek cleaner air in upstate New York. And if you haven't heard of the yellow fever, it's spread by mosquitoes, those evil bastards. And they are. I'm allergic to them, so I terrible. hate them. And I, I think they gave me meningitis when I was 30, but... 
They were the catalyst. They were. Yeah. And they're awful. We don't like mosquitoes. And vodka. <laughs> we have so much in common. We do. This is the except, start. Except for the karaoke. That's the only thing. <laughs> Listen. One day. One day. Uh, no. The yellow fever was not understood at this time, so medical professionals thought that it was due to slum conditions in the city centers, including landfill and stagnant waters. Now, they weren't far off with the stagnant waters because obviously that's a breeding ground for mosquitoes, but the population blamed refugees, the luggage of foreign sailors, and shipments of rotten coffee. Rotten coffee. Come on now. Rotten coffee. First of all, how do you even, <laughs> how do you even let it get to that point? Back as then? soon as that shipment hit the port, get it off the ship. Let's <laughs> yes. Is, it. Are there coffee and potatoes? Yeah. <laughs> we know there were. <laughs> <laughs> so families with financial means could leave the city for climates that provided more space and a more healthful environment during that time. But families without the means not only had to deal with the internal dread of not knowing much about a virus that was killing tons of people, they also had to deal with this visual terror because neighborhoods with outbreaks were roped off or marked with yellow flags. Very few doctors were even willing to treat those neighborhoods. So you're just living in this time when you're sick, you're asking for help, and the doctors don't even want to come help you. And then you see the neighborhood roped off across the street, yellow flags, and you know that it's just full of nasty yellow fever. People were getting jaundice and vomiting blood. Those are some of the more severe symptoms of it. So you think you just go outside and maybe it's toxic and you could get so sick. Yeah, they had no idea how to treat it. That's really scary. It's a scary time. Yeah. Now a teenage Irving was living in Terrytown, New York. Oh, wait, but th so does that mean that his family was one of the wealthy ones? Yes. Yeah, so his family had money and so they were able to send him away because he was a sick child and they didn't want him contracting yellow fever. Okay. Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of make sure. Yes. No, that's good. So now he is living in Terrytown, New York in Westchester County with his friend James Paulding. He was completely enthralled by his new environment and, as Brian J. Jones states in his biography, was smitten by both the pastoral tranquility of the Hudson Valley region and its less-than-tranquil ghost stories. And it was here that Irving supposedly first heard the rumor of a headless Hessian buried near the old Dutch church. The one we were at, Jennifer. Oh, gosh. Who rode <laughs> forth to the scenes of battle in nightly quest of his head. Uh, well, now we see kind of where the origin comes from, yes, right? Yes, yes. So he could have been told this story when he moved to Terry town. And if you're not familiar with the terminology, a Hessian soldier was a German soldier hired by the British Army to help fight during the American Revolution. Most are from Hesse-Kassel. It's a German state. Probably pronouncing it wrong. What can we do? We, this is what we do on this podcast. Yeah, we don't pronounce things correctly. <laughs> so just expect it to be wrong. <laughs> we, we tell you about true crime and lore, but if you want correct pronunciations, you'll have to listen somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. So Irving had a private education and began writing his essays under the pen name Jonathan Oldstyle for the Morning Chronicle, which was edited by his older brother, Peter. And Irving was said to have had a witty sense of humor and... He had a bunch of pen names, which we learned on a tour of the cemetery from this amazing tour guide, Roe. And she said that he would have pen names like Philip Longstaff. And it was, let me tell you, it was <laughs> Lancelot Longstaff. <laughs> Lancelot Longstaff. And that was my favorite pen name. Yes. I mean, and it made me want to create my own pen name. What, do you have a pen name? I do not. But it made me want to make them. What would it be? Jennifer, long amazing bosoms. shoulder, long bosoms. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
<laughs> She's young. They're not there yet. They're not long, no. <laughs> but you just want something funny and, and witty, right? That is witty. So. Yeah, I like that. So Jennifer Longbosoms. Um, that's not going to be <laughs> Don't look out for that. No, we need, I think we should incorporate your amazing shoulders. Like the landing strips? Like, they're not landing strips. What, what do we want to call them? Like Eagle's Landing? <laughs> We're not insulting them. We're going to compliment them. Sure. We'll figure out something. Well, I will look to you for that, but... (laughs) I'll work on the pen names. Okay. TBD. (laughs) That's right. So... And wasn't another one um, about the Knicks? Knickerbocker? Yes. Yes, that's where the term Knickerbocker came from. Yes. Yeah, he he created so many things that, like you said, we use in pop culture today. That are so relative now. Yes. But what was the actual name? Do you remember? Of the the Knickerbocker one? Dietrich Knickerbocker. Okay. Yeah. So Dietrich Knickerbocker was another pen name Mm -hmm. that he went by and created the basketball team, the New York Knicks, right? Yes. He's all over pop culture. In New York. Yeah, he really is. Then he toured Europe from 1804 to 1806 and returned to New York to practice law. He states that he was not a good student, and in 1806, he barely passed the bar. Preferring to indulge in creativity over law, he published a periodical of humorous essays and penned the history of New York from the beginning of the world to the end of the Dutch dynasty and using the pen name Dietrich Knickerbocker. And this was in 1809. We're out of the 1700s. Finally. (laughs) So this satirical piece won him major acclaim. So now he had significant success before the age of 30, and here is where his writing career kind of became stagnant while he was figuring out what he wanted to do. He got a job as an editor of a magazine and briefly served in the military during the War of 1812. See, he's just well-versed in a little bit of everything. He, huh? It sounds like he lived a very interesting life. What is the word? Eclectic? Maybe a little nomadic and eclectic. Yeah. I can see that. I think so. In 1815, he traveled to England to help his brother with a failing family business. When that couldn't be revived, he wrote a collection of short stories that ended up being the sketchbook of Jeffrey Cran Gent. And Gent was short for gentleman. It was published in several installments from 1819 to 20 and contained The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Ooh. So the book made him a literary star in England and the U.S. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is 24 pages and is considered America's first ghost story. And if you haven't heard the gothic tale, it takes place around 1790, roughly seven years after the end of the American Revolution, and is about Ichabod Crane, a schoolmaster that moves to the haunted town of Sleepy Hollow in the Hudson Valley after accepting a job at a local school. The setting of Sleepy Hollow is inspired by Irving's own surroundings in Terrytown, and a couple of my favorite passages about the town's mood are when he says, a drowsy, dreamy influence seems to hang over the land and to pervade the very atmosphere. Certain it is, the place still continues under the sway of some witching power that holds a spell over the minds of the good people, causing them to walk in a continual reverie. They are given to all kinds of marvelous beliefs and subject to trances and visions and frequently see strange sights and hear music and voices in the air. The whole neighborhood abounds with local tales, haunted spots, and twilight superstitions. Stars shoot and meteors glare oftener across the valley than in any other part of the country. And the nightmare, with her whole ninefold, seems to make it the favorite scene of her gambles. I just think that fits Terrytown, Sleepy Hollow, so well. It does. It almost has a magical, but also dreary feel to it. Yes, We experienced it. We experienced it, and 
It was. It's accurate. (laughs) It is accurate. And it it has just a a nice feel at the same time. It's got this haunting feel, but not in any type of way where you would feel you're in some precarious situation. It's not scary. No, it's not. It's just that beautiful haunting feel of mystery and magic. Right. And maybe awesome ghost stories. Yes, I can definitely see that. Even when we went to the cemeteries. Yes. Has that feel when we walked by the Hudson. We felt very relaxed there. Tranquil. It's a very tranquil, mysterious environment. But it always felt like it was midnight because there was crickets out 24-7. Not in an aggressive way like cicada bugs in Georgia. In this little background noise, almost like the setting's always there for some ghost story to be told. Yeah. So the story is about Ichabod Crane. He's a tall, lanky man with a very strong profile. And they make fun of his spite nose and how he's like a weather vane when he's walking down the street with oh, this I long neck and this huge nose. And so the wind would, you know, move his head around. Picture this tall, gawky, awkward guy. And that was Ichabod Crane. And so he comes to town after he gets this job at the schoolhouse and befriends the local wives with his talent for carrying the whole budget of local gossip. So just like a gossip girl, he loves to collect the town gossip and then talk with the other Dutch wives about it. And it kind of gets him in good with them. He knows how to work the crowd. Yeah. And so he does odd farm chores for extra money. And he's completely spellbound by the region since he has a fearful pleasure for the marvelous tales of ghosts and goblins. So Ichabod, who has barely any money to get by and no family, attempts to capture the attention of 18-year-old Katrina Van Tassel. And she's from a very affluent family, and he wants to marry her and have access to her family's fortune. And she's also really cute. He's like, oh, she's cute and she has money. I mean, yeah, all around. All around. He's like, yes, this is what I need. In my life. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) To try and win her heart, Ichabod has been coming to Katrina's parents' home under the guise of a singing teacher to attempt to woo her. And Katrina's known to be flirtatious, and she keeps Ichabod interested in her while also doing the same with another suitor. Ooh, I know who this is. (laughs) Named Abraham Von Brunt. So he's known as Brom Bones in the story, and he's a rowdy troublemaker, attractive. He likes to show off his strength, but he most in town like him. and he is from a more affluent situation than Ichabod. So a love triangle ensues, as you can imagine, and Brom wants to fight Ichabod. But Ichabod, knowing he'd be pulverized by Brom, <laughs> does not respond to his fight request. He kind of just it basically ignores this. And so and this, that gets under his skin. That gets under Brom's skin. And so he's very egotistical, and he decides to play practical jokes on Ichabod while he is at Katrina's parents' home doing the singing lessons, like making the dog howl at Ichabod during the lesson. <laughs> yes. Like he'd hit the high notes and then you just hear the howling. Right. So the dog's trained to howl at these certain notes. So this is Brom now trying to really get under Ichabod's skin, but he just really brushes everything off. He's in this trance, I think. He's just a... Nothing gets to him. Nothing gets like, to him. He's except... in his own little world. Then one day Ichabod gets an invitation to the Van Tassel harvest party at their lavish estate. So keep in mind, Halloween was not a thing yet, but the story definitely has a Halloween feel to me anyway. 
Ichabod attends with an old plow horse named Gunpowder that he <laughs> borrowed for the night from a local farmer. And Brom shows up on his horse, Daredevil, of course. Even just the names, you can tell. Brom yes. on his, you know, trusty steed, Daredevil. And then here's Ichabod yeah, on Gunpowder. And who's the, you know, supposed good guy. Very yin and yang. Yes. But I love those names. They're just so witty. Irving was great with names. So Ichabod is in a trance from the abundance of pastries and food dishes, which we would be too, at the party. Absolutely. <laughs> and basically he stuffs his face while envisioning it all being his one day. He then dances with Katrina in front of Brom, which obviously makes Brom very jealous, and Ichabod super confident and happy to get in that little emotional jab at Brom. But after the dancing, Ichabod goes over to hang out with some of the older men who are smoking cigars and telling their war stories, and the conversation transitions into ghost stories. And this is where Ichabod hears local lore, one about a headless horseman who was a Hessian soldier said to have been decapitated by a stray cannonball during some nameless battle that took place near by during the war. So the headless horseman is said to ride forth to the scene of battle in nightly quest of his head. And it is also said that the horseman cannot cross the old Dutch bridge. So Brahm, of course, adds his alleged encounter with the headless horseman where he had offered to race him for a bowl of punch or something. And the story goes on to describe the land and all of the wealth of the Van Tassels in Ichabod's head. And he is just so unrealistic with the belief that he has Katrina's affections in the bag with his dancing skills and his <laughs> intelligence. But like, in reality, Brahm is the one with the social connections, financial wealth, charm, look, strength, and has that likability from the locals in town he is a local. So he does have that advantage. He has that advantage. And whereas Ichabod, he's an outsider with no financial means of either supporting or acting as even an equal to Katrina. But he can't pull himself from his fantasy in his head to truly realize that he has no actual ability to achieve his one-sided objective. So almost delusional. He's very much, yes. And so now that he's being told these ghost stories, it's freaking him out. Yeah, because he was all about some ghost stories. As we know, he would go to visit the local Dutch wives and he believed in magic and everything. So these ghost stories, they're going to stick in his head. They're getting to him. Mm -hmm. Ichabod had planned to propose to Katrina after the guests leave, but he was turned down. So after the party, Ichabod rides home on his broken down horse. Gunpowder. Gunpowder, heavy hearted and crestfallen, not having won the hand of Katrina. As he heads home, his imagination starts to get the best of him and he recounts those town ghost stories he just heard at the party and he thinks he hears something as he nears a swamp. He then encounters another rider and is immediately terrified by the size of this rider and his silence. So you're going home from a party at night on a horse who probably can't go very quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's just a broken down. You're a broken bit. down plow horse, and there's this rider. He's doing his best, though. He's doing his best. Gunpowder's trying. <laughs> then there's this rider there. And just being silent, this big, very large person on a horse, still and silent. Wouldn't that be freaky? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And especially after you just heard that tale of right. a headless horseman right. in Sleepy Hollow. So as he starts to realize this horseman is wearing a cloak and Ichabod soon realizes he has no head. 
and then <laughs> so, and then he's terrified. Then he's like, <laughs> these stories are real. Oh, great. So as Ichabod tries to desperately escape to the other end of the bridge, where he remembers that the writer is said to vanish according to rule in a flash of fire and brimstone before crossing, Ichabod barely makes it across to the bridge. And then he looks back to see the headless horseman hurl his severed head right at him. It strikes Ichabod and sends him tumbling down off of his horse. Is his head the pumpkin or is this... In the story, it says, you know, Ichabod thinks it's the severed head flying at him. Ah. But the next morning, the only traces of Ichabod are his hat, gunpowder's trampled saddle, and a smashed pumpkin. So we know that the rider threw a pumpkin at him. The rider was most likely Brom Bones playing a practical joke. Ah. Don't you think? I could totally see that. I've never thought about that scenario. I always thought it was the Headless Horseman, like a real thing. Well, it could be a real thing, of course. But (laughs) it could also have been Brom Bones playing a practical joke on him. Which is more realistic. It's more realistic. He's like, get out of my way. I'm going to marry this lady. Yeah. So the story concludes with Ichabod never being seen in town again and Katrina and Brom getting married. Brom is said to look exceedingly knowing whenever the story of Ichabod is related. So that's where I think it was probably him. But we're never really told what happened to Ichabod. The old Dutch wives in the story believe he was spirited away by supernatural means. Of course. That's what you believe that he was spirited away, too. That's what I want to believe, yes. It's a great story. I think it's one of the best ghost stories. I mean, back in the 1700s, it's a legend now. Everyone knows about this story. Right. He wrote a good story. He did. A great story. And it took on its own life. People forget about the writer and they just think of the legend. And the way it's left open is... You can interpret it how you want. Yeah. Because even in some scenarios, I believe that some people think he just left and right. started he got his own scared. life. Yeah. And he left and found some other woman to marry him, some widow with a bunch of money. And then he had a bunch of kids in some other it's county. gold digger. Oh yeah. He was a gold digger. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I didn't realize that until I rewatched the movie. I was like, oh gosh, this guy is really after some money. Even in the Disney version, they show him, he was dreaming about that lavish lifestyle and her yep. dad, Boltus von Tassel, yes. passing away. And then he would have all the jewels. He thought about that farmland oh, yeah. and it would turn into like gold and dollar bills that's the legend of sleepy hollow we were at a place where we got to hear it from a master storyteller what was his name Jennifer? jonathan crook and he did a great job of retelling the story he did. I was so engaged the whole time. Yeah. And it's spooky. He just retells the story and it's like you're there. <laughs> yeah. And we heard it at night, actually at the Sunnyside property. That is where Washington Irving was. And Irving's inspiration from his story came from his surroundings and the people in it. So Irving called Terrytown a retreat whither I might steal from the world and its distractions a dream quietly away. You feel that in your soul, don't you? I certainly do. <laughs> yes. I love that. He was very good with words and names and just, we can see why he's such a talented writer. And humor. And it was interesting to learn that the Van Tassels are actually real people that he used in his story. We actually saw the Van Tassel gravestones at the Old Dutch Cemetery. Yeah, we did. That was really cool. Van Tassel, wait. Right. Katrina Van Tassel. And he knew them. We didn't even realize that and they were real people that yes. he knew and put in his story. Put in his stories. And there was an Ichabod Crane alive during that time around there. So he... What a name. I know. It's not the best name. Ichabod Crane. But it's iconic. Oh, it's so great. 
you don't want to name your child Ichabod Crane. But somebody but did. Somebody, <laughs> somebody did, and it became like this now we standalone. Find the legend. Yes. Yeah. Well, Henry Steiner, official historian for the village of Sleepy Hollow, stated that Sleepy Hollow has been influenced by Irving and Irving by Sleepy Hollow. One legacy would not be the same without the other. Irving was a prolific writer, but his two most famous iconic works are The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle. Sleepy Hollow is the real place that inspired Irving's best work, and the reception of this short masterpiece was instrumental in establishing Irving's great fame. He returned the favor by making Sleepy Hollow the place world famous. And it is. Everybody knows Sleepy Hollow is famous for this legend. Not as many people, though, know Washington Irving wrote the story, and that's too bad because he was such a great writer. He was and a great worldly person mm -hmm. who kind of knew a little bit of everything. And yeah. Kind of, he gets lost in the background of the of his own story. Because it was so amazing. Yes, it was. So let's talk about later in his life. Irving went on to write several more works and was secretary of the U.S. legation to London from 1829 to 1832. He returned to the U.S. in 1832 and basically went on a road trip to explore some western parts of the country. There's that nomadic lifestyle again. I yeah. love that. It inspired his work, A Tour on the Prairie, which was published in 1835. He then published a couple more frontier-inspired works in the 1830s, which I haven't read any of them, but I kind of want to read more of his stuff now, knowing more about him. Yeah, knowing more about him and how talented he is and how his works take on a life of their own. Yeah. Irving also served as a U.S. ambassador to Spain in the 1840s, and he spent his later years in New York at his Sunnyside estate, where he met with new writers, artists, and politicians of the era. During this time, he produced mainly historical and biographical works, including the five-volume Life of George Washington. Prior to his passing on November 28, 1859, he pushed for stronger copyright laws. What a cool dude. That makes sense. Yeah. We talked about this. There are gravestones at the Old Dutch Cemetery that have the names of some of his characters, like Katrina Van Tassel. And his expansive estate called Sunnyside is located in Terrytown and is now a historical site, which has tours, storytellings, and just a beautiful view of what Irving was obviously inspired by while he was writing. Yeah. We saw that when we immediately, when we got to Terrytown. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the airport... Yeah, it has a different feel when we walked out. And driving to Terrytown, the Uber driver told us a ghost story. Oh, yes. He was talking about, and I may have to upload the video into our stories, because he was talking about hauntings, and he confirmed. He said, yes, this place, it definitely has a haunted feel. And even in New York, there's a lot of haunted places. And yeah. he was telling us a little story, which we'll upload into our stories that you can check out. Yeah, we uh, did a vlog. <laughs> Can't wait for you to see these. Jennifer did such a great job with it. And it's just a snippet, a teaser of the trip. It's a beautiful place. It's like a gem. Yeah. Like New York is known for being so busy all the time and nonstop. But when you go to Terrytown, it's Which just... is what, like an hour outside of Manhattan? Or how far away did we find out it was from the city? It's about like 45 minutes. So not even an hour. Right. And you're in a completely different environment. Upstate New York. And it's right by the Hudson. You just take in the water, the view. It's just so... And what, the Palisades, right? Those cliffs yes. on the other side of the Hudson. Yes. Oh my gosh, at sunset, we got to eat at this cute restaurant, Half Moon. Half Moon. And we got to sit outside right on the water and watch the sun just go over us because we stayed there for seeing some friends. We stayed there for... 
a while. A few hours. Yeah. yeah. We stayed there for a few hours. And yeah. And that's, and they say that was the best place to see that sunset. Yes. And it was amazing. We'll post those pictures too on our Instagram. One of the prettiest sunsets I've ever seen. I agree. Where we were sitting, you could see Manhattan through a little gap between the Palisades on the right of our view. And then on the left side was the edge of the Hudson where Terrytown is. So between Terrytown and the Palisades across the river, yes. there's this little glimpse of the city. And yeah. like on this sparkling Hudson River, you see Manhattan in the distance and it was magical. Beautiful. And you even have the bridge there. If you've ever wanted to check it out, highly recommend. When we were at the storytelling... <laughs> we almost died. We, we, no, we didn't almost die. <laughs> we almost got we abandoned. We almost got abandoned. <laughs> Could have been murdered. We don't know. As you know, New York is a walking type of city uh, <laughs> or state. So we're Ubering or walking everywhere. So we were like, we really don't want to walk back all the way to our hotel. At night, right. Because it was, we were probably a half hour walk and it was almost midnight because we did the late night telling. Yes. And as two true crime podcast hosts, <laughs> we know better. We know better than this. Than to walk outside at night. We're not going to do that. Nope. We don't no. want to be that story. No. So <laughs> New podcast girls die with don't murder people shirts on in Sleepy Hollow. That would have been a great story, but no, we can't let you have that. No, we don't want to go viral can't that go way. Out. No, we'd be dead. It wouldn't matter to us. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so we downloaded all the Uber apps or mm -hmm. all the similar apps yeah. and eventually. 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 But in the meantime, we were sitting in a courtyard with all the lights being shut down because the last person that's there was about to leave and was shutting off all the lights and the security like, guard yeah but we're sitting at the sunny side estate where washington irving lived in this cool creepy environment lights are being shut down and we're wearing our don't murder people shirts i just said oh jennifer is this <laughs> Oh, and there's actually a headless horseman at this. Yes. That was one of the coolest parts of the, I mean, the whole thing was cool. Yes. An but... actor rode up and he actually hurled a live, uh, a live, he hurled a real pumpkin. Live pumpkin. <laughs> he hurled the real pumpkin at the crowd that was sitting listening to the story and it smashed right in front of this little kid and he was all excited. Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't expect that. Yeah. I was like, is this a real horse? <laughs> it was a real horse. <laughs> I was a little taken aback. Like, yeah. is this a machine? <laughs> What's going on here? It was not animatronics. It was a real live horse. Yeah. Very cool experience. If you're ever in Terrytown, definitely do the storytelling. That was yes. amazing. It was my favorite part, I think, of the trip. Yeah, you really liked it. And what was, what was your favorite part? The entire thing. <laughs> The entire thing. Was it the like cemetery it tour? That was fun, learning more about Washington Irving. And the old Dutch church is beautiful. The cemetery is set very high on this hill. And so you could see out over all of the countryside. And she said that, I guess, soldiers would actually come up there because they could see the Hudson River and watch for incoming ships. And yeah. so it was just interesting to hear it. And she also said that during that era, when people walked hand in hand with death, it was just part of their life and they weren't as scared of it as we are now. Like they talked about it and they would come and have picnics at the cemeteries. And yeah, with their dead with their loved ones. With their loved ones. And so it was just a different 
view on death, which seemed like it was healthy because they weren't scared of it. It's part of life. They embraced it. Yeah. They had a lot more people dying during that time because some of them lost multiple children and you would see the little gravestones. The one family lost all of their children in a sledding accident. Yeah. And so... And so they had the little mini stones. No, those were the foot markers. Remember? Oh, There's the headstones and footstones we learned, which... That's right. I didn't know footstones were a thing, but basically it marks where the end of the, the grave plot is. Okay, so there's a headstone and those little tiny round ones are actually footstones. Now, like some of the gardeners, I guess, move the footstones up to the headstones, which is you're not supposed to do. But if you ever right. see those little mini ones, they're called footstones. And didn't they have those vaults? Um, what were they called? Were the catacombs? The catacombs. Oh, those were, those were creepy. We couldn't tour those because of COVID. We just had to stay outside and socially distance. But she said, come back another year when we can do these tours again because they are very creepy. We did get to look inside one where a lady actually, her wedding dress was in the tomb. Yes. It was very uh, Victorian era-esque. Just seeing that history was very cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously you, you absorb all of that when you're there and learning about Washington Irving. He's buried there in the Old Dutch Cemetery. With his family, right? They have little yep. flags. They, he has his family's plot there and then it's kind of cool that he's buried around all of the characters that are in his stories. A lot of them. I know. So it's just a cool experience. Do it, guys. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Great places to eat and you can basically walk. Most of the things we saw, we walked to. We've walked a lot. We what sure did. What do we get? Did. Like 20,000 steps or something crazy? Uh, each day? Yeah, each day. <laughs> yes. We walked a ton. And then the next day we'd be like, no, we're, we're not going to walk today much. And we'd end up walking 17,000 steps. <laughs> yeah. It's like so much for not walking. So much for not walking. Here we go. <laughs> but yeah, and then we saw Main Street. There was a statue of Rip Van Winkle, Rip right? Van Winkle, yes. And I don't know much about that story. I think he was a, the legend of him is that he wasn't nice. I forget, what did he do? Did he steal babies? Something like that. I'd be interested to read it now that we've kind of learned his history. I kind of know yeah. more about that story. Check that one out. So what do you think about the adaptations of Sleepy Hollow? What's your favorite? Well, I've never seen the Johnny Depp one in 1999, right? Right. Never seen that one, but I mean, I loved the Disney one. Like I said, they romanticize it. Yes. They make it seem like Ichabod is the one that's going to end up with the girl. Mm -hmm. But in the story, it seems like the reality is she's going to marry Brom, Brom yeah. either way. From the start, I yeah. think there's hints to that. Yes. And then, of course, the Disney songs. But, <laughs> but that's... The hip-hop and a clippity-clop. Yep. <laughs> And so you love that. That's part of my childhood. So, of course, I'm more attached to that one. But what about you? What do you think about the adaptations? Well, obviously, the Disney one I remember as a kid, and I loved it. And that's probably the first experience I had with the story. That one's probably my favorite. I have not seen the Johnny Depp one. I just hear that it has nothing to do with... Like, Tim Burton does his own spin on it. So it's probably not the story that I love. Uh, what I hear about it is it's more violent and gory. So he does his own Kind of on spin. brand with yeah, Tim Burton. That's his own spin on it. And I think Johnny Depp as Ichabod Crane, I just don't see that for that story. I agree. DJ Qualls. That's who should be Ichabod. Yeah, you showed me his photo. Photo, he, I can doesn't totally he look like that. Ichabod? He could do it. Yes. Yeah, you have to have a certain look to be an Ichabod crane. I think so. And Johnny Depp is he's just too attractive. He is, yeah. But he is dark, so I know he fits for the Tim Burton role. Maybe his acting would be perfect for that, but yeah. I think DJ 
DJ Qualls. Qualls. And I can kind of see Christina Ritchie as Katrina. She's probably a great Katrina. Yeah. Van Tassel. I wonder, in 1999 is when the Tim Burton movie came out and is when they renamed the town Sleepy Hollow. So do you think just because of that celebrity from the movie being included in there that they got a lot more attention and so they decided to rename it? Because it was renamed the same year that that movie came out. I can see that. Whatever brings the tourists in, right? Smart. Whatever brings in the traffic. Yes, smart marketing. That makes sense to me. And anyone who follows that tale, they know that it's just attached to that town. Yes, yeah. So. Terrytown. Great place. Yes, I would love to go back. I feel like there's more to do. They have like this cool lights festival during Halloween. <gasps> yes, the bla- Halloween blaze, I think. And I really wanted to check that out, yeah. but I don't even think it was going on the days that we were there. It wasn't. You're right. It started, I think, the second week in October. We were there the first. We were there too early. Mm-hmm. We'll go back next time when there is more fall color too. And we even got to stand on the bridge. Well, supposedly we're the bridge that the Headless Horseman rides. I know because we, we kept trying to Google it. Like, where is this bridge? <laughs> right. And there's some old, cool looking, very photo worthy bridges there. But those aren't the actual bridge that he was talking about. Yeah. It kind of just rotted away, right? It did. We found the spot and it's now a new bridge. It doesn't look creepy, but we think we were standing on the actual bridge where the Headless Horseman rides. Is that where we took the photo op? It is, yes. You'll see that on our IG. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Are we missing anything? Are we missing anything? We saw the lighthouse. Saw the light. Oh, yes. We saw the lighthouse. That was That was day one. Yeah. We walked along the edge of the Hudson and found a cool condo that we want to buy, which (laughs) we can't afford. We can't afford it, but maybe one day. One day. (laughs) Seriously, guys. Guys, when we say the ambiance there is just, it makes you just want to live there. If you are into the Halloween feel, that slower pace, even remember we were walking and there was a, there was a sign we saw that said traffic calming ahead. When do you ever like hear traffic calming? That's an oxymoron. Traffic and calming should not go together. It's not a thing. But in Sleepy Hollow, traffic calming is ahead. It is. <laughs> it's just, if you're ready for the slower pace, it, it's there. It's wonderful. So we recommend it. Highly approved. We're going to go back for sure one day. We'll be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sleepy Hollow. Look out, Sleepy Hollow. Two sleepy girls coming your way again. <laughs> yes, we will be. <laughs> They're like, welcome. <laughs> they welcome our kind. We felt at home there. Yes, yeah. we did. Okay. So what is on the agenda next? We're back into the true crime. Here we go. <laughs> Halloween or October, we had a bunch of you know, spookier type of stories. Yeah, fit with the Halloween thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, November, we're going to bring it back to true crime. I'm going to cover the Chundawat family. And there is already a Netflix documentary out about it. This was before I even knew that. Yeah, because you just heard about this documentary and you're like, I can't believe there's a documentary coming out right now. And I'm doing this. Yes. Yeah. That's great. We're taking you back. Back to the noir. The noir. With the noir. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) We do want to shout out some of our reviews. Yes. For the people who were so kind to leave us a review, we do want to shout you out. Keep those reviews coming. Thank you so much. Review Corner shout out to MX Sandy 12, JR Flat, Rem Lemon, and 03Gigi. Thank you so much for the reviews. Appreciate your support, the continued support, the new support. Thank you all. That's wonderful. We'll keep giving you that 
true crime and those Jennifer alien stories. <laughs> I love them. I love I love listening to them. It's great. <laughs> yeah, you're always just judging. I'm skeptical. Ju- I'm just skeptical, but I am fascinated by it. Me too. I love it. Get ready for it. November is going to be a little darker. We hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Bonus. Hope you know a little more about Sleepy Hollow and the man who wrote it, Washington Irving. He was amazing. Yeah. Just remember to stay caffeinated. Get hobbies. And don't murder people. Bye. Bye.